That's the only reason I'm interested in this as a as an art form. It's not me inscribing some message or moral on a kid's brain. It's it's providing the opening gambit in a in an intellectual conversation that that a kid's going to engage in. Like how how do you make the book just a, a starting point or, or or yeah or a piece of evidence of that the world is is more remarkable than it than it seems on a daily basis. Welcome to The Well. I'm Anson Mount. And I am Brandon Edgens. And Brandon, last year sometime, I I came across this TED Talk that just kind of really floored me mm-hmm. with this children's book author named Mac Barnett. And I got in touch with him, and uh, we, we tried to do an interview over the phone, and it, it didn't work very well. I had a lot of technical issues. And then he happened to be coming to New York because his publisher is in New York, and I managed to wrangle him over to my kitchen pour him a glass of wine and we had a conversation nice yeah i think i knew i wanted to be a writer from the time that i was really young um but i, I didn't really know what kind of book i wanted to write well, i should go back even further and say like 1980s tv commercials there was this there was this commercial for nestle quick chocolate milk that was like about a theme park it was basically a wonka ripoff there was like a theme park that was like quick world and it was like all the stuff you could do in it. And the biggest thing was like, these kids went down a water slide full of chocolate milk that was a swirly straw into a pool of chocolate milk. And it was just like the coolest thing. <laughs> right. And there was this kid, Ernest, at my elementary school who didn't have friends. And he came to school one day and he was like, I won the Nestle Quick contest. And we're like, what contest? And he's like, the one that gets you two tickets to the chocolate milk world. And we're like, what? He's like, yeah, I won. And I get to take a friend. <laughs> and we're all like, Ernest doesn't have friends. This ticket is open. <laughs> <laughs> For like three months, every kid was competing to be <laughs> Ernest's plus one to the chocolate milk world. Which of course, like if you think about it for even five seconds, you're like, that's disgusting. I'm swimming in milk and I'm <laughs> drinking milk people are swimming in? Like, neither one of these things are good. But we all really wanted to go. And we were all jockeying for position and Ernest knew what he was doing. He was cultivating it. It was like, it was like early bachelor, right? Where you're like, I'm in, oh, I'm out. Like, oh, what's going on? This date seemed to have gone really well over here. And it just sort of died. There was never any moment where we were like, Ernest was scamming us. Um, It just sort of died. And it wasn't until like literally 10 years later that I was like, Oh my God, there was no chocolate milk world. <laughs> Ernest never won a sweepstakes. Um, and, but, but that desire, like I, we all wanted to go. Like I really wanted to go. I, I feel like I have a pretty direct line 
back to those feelings, back to to that. Yeah, just just the the way that I thought as a kid and the way I felt as a kid, and I think that's true of a lot of uh, people who do this, who do children's books. So Mac grew up really wanting to go to Chocolate Milk World or or Willy Wonka Land or whatever. He he was deeply into the imagination of story, and he was a voracious reader as a child, and he knew. He, he, like he said, he wanted to be a writer, but it wasn't until Matt got a little older that he realized what kind of writing that would be. Four-year-olds are the age that made me want to start writing. Really? Yes. And the, they finally have the verbal skills to understand everything that you're saying and to communicate everything they're thinking, but their perspective is so different. It's like talking to a space alien, you know? It's like, <laughs> and that what a pleasure that is. Um, in college, um, I was a camp counselor on my summers off. And I was a camp counselor at a, at a sports summer camp for four to six-year-olds. And uh, I was in charge of the four-year-olds because uh, like, nobody wanted to be in charge of the four-year-olds because four-year-olds don't play sports and neither do I, so it was a good match. And so Mac, not being very sporty, soon realized that he was more useful off the field. Say, when a four-year-old skinned his knee and became inconsolable, the coach would point over to Mac and he'd say, see that guy over there under the tree talking to all those other kids? Go over there and listen, because I'll bet he's going to tell you a really good story. Hmm. Uh, yeah, that was sort of my first audience, was, was telling stories to kids who were like overheated, crying, and suddenly doubting their athletic abilities. And uh, that's a tough audience. That's a tough audience right there. I was telling these stories as if they happened to me, and it became clear early on that like the kids believed them. When I was telling the story, I'd been like, I'd like blown up a submarine, like jumped off like a Spanish galleon. Uh, I had gotten marooned on an island, and then finally I was like wrestling a jaguar. And there was this kid, Raphael, who was just like, I was like, I was wrestling this jaguar, and we were down in a cave. And he was just shaking his head. He's like, no, no, no. And I was like, what? And Raphael was like, there's no way. There's no way, man. You didn't, you didn't wrestle a jaguar. And I was like, yeah. No, I did. And, and I'll prove it tomorrow. And the next day, I just brought in, like, a white T-shirt that I just, like, put in the dirt and <laughs> cut up. And I was like, look at this. That's the shirt I was wearing. And he was like, oh, okay, yeah, you did wrestle that Jaguar, actually. Now I believe you. That is incontrovertible evidence. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the summer before his senior year in college when Mac had a kind of revelation. He realized that it was a child's ability to so completely suspend disbelief, that willingness to go there with an author and fully embrace a piece of fiction. Like that's the space that all good art puts us in, right? Like we know this is artifice. We know that this is something fake, but we develop real feelings for them. And if I were writing for adults, that's the space I would want my reader to be in. But kids, are so much more willing to go there with you. So Mac decides he's going to take a year off from college and write a children's book. He moves back in with his mom, he's substitute teaching, SAT tutoring, and as you might imagine, finding out that adult life is not very conducive to thinking like a child. So he calls up his writing teacher. Dave, like, what? Like, here's my situation. Like, 
what's something I can do that's cool in the Bay Area? <laughs> like, <laughs> where, like, when I meet people and they're like, what are you up to? Like, I can say this instead of the other things that I'm actually like, up like, to. Like, literally, that brought I literally said, it. what's something cool? You just literally, okay. So his teacher says, well, I don't know what's cool, but have you heard about this literary magazine, McSweeney's? Uh, and he's like, that's based in San Francisco. And uh, it's run by Dave Eggers. I knew, I knew Dave Eggers' work. Um, I had read a heartbreaking work of Staggering Genius. And Great book. I, Wallace said, like, yeah, like you should go work at McSweeney's. And he wrote me, I got a letter of introduction to Eggers and I like delivered it and got an internship there. And as soon as Max shows up, to the first day of his internship, he realizes that the McSweeney's is not just a literary magazine. In fact, it's two shops under one roof. But we were all, McSweeney's was at 826 Valencia Street, and so was this nonprofit that, that just taught kids writing, but was also a place for kids to go after school to get help with their homework or anything they wanted to do. So like our whole philosophy was like, we just say yes. If you come in and you're a kid and you're like, I have this math worksheet that's due tomorrow. We're like, let's figure this out. If a kid comes in and says, I want to publish a book of my own poetry, we say, great. And we will publish it, design it, bind it right there in the building. If they're like, we want to make a skateboarding video, me and my friends, then we're like, great, let's make the skateboarding video. We're going to figure out how to do it. That's amazing. It's a great, it's a great center. <clears throat> but as great an organization as it was, McSweeney's and their charitable extension, 826, soon ran into a big big bureaucratic problem. When Dave opened uh, 826 Valencia, the, the storefront that he had rented for it was zoned retail. And California zoning law, well, San Francisco zoning law is so strict. They're just, they wouldn't grant a variance. And Dave was like, look, I'm gonna, like, it's gonna be a tutoring center. And they're like, this is zoned retail. It needs to have a shop. So according to Mac, Dave Eggers came to the McSweeney's team one day and said, City wants a shop or they're closing down the nonprofit. So we give them a shop. <laughs> so to come into compliance with code, uh, Dave built a pirate store in the front. And it was just purely to like meet the letter of the law. What did you sell in the pirate store? It, it looks store? like the belly of a ship. It's like all wood drawers and and uh, it was uh, like glass eyes, <laughs> pirate flags, <laughs> peg legs. Citrus, so you don't get scurvy. You just open a drawer, and it was like all lemons. I uh, go in and ask for a free mopping. If anybody's listening, it is near San Francisco. Go into the pirate store and just say, "Hey, like I'm here for my free mopping," uh, and it'll it'll be all good. Don't worry about it. Did it ever make a profit? So it did. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. First of all, why is that so funny? Like <laughs> that just—it tickles me to no end. Uh, I don't know. I think. Well, I think it's more the surprise that, like, oh, we got to do this thing, <laughs> right. whatever dumb thing you can think of. Blah, blah. Oh, it's working. Yeah. Right. And jokes on us. Yeah. Right? Exactly. <laughs> so the fact that it actually worked, right? As you said, it's it's even better. And and. What had happened, people in the Mission District and then in the Bay Area and then in the literary community, they all eventually heard about what was happening and they wanted to lend their support by coming out and, and not just saying, you know, here's some money, but, oh, hello, shopkeeper of ye old pirate shop. Uh, I, I be in the market for some glass eyes, you know. <laughs> it, it started to pay the rent for the tutoring center. 
Um, and so it became this weird thing of like legal necessity, but also just sort of art project, community art project, but then also like moneymaker that was helping the nonprofit. And then lastly, like, and I think this is, this is in some ways the most important thing. Like if you're coming to 826 after school to do homework, but first you have to walk through a pirate store, this is a little different. It also, it seems to me that it would kind of take, uh, take the pressure off a little bit. I think that's walking right. Walking through a joke. Yeah, walking through a joke. That's exactly right. And walking through like a perfectly executed joke too, mm-hmm. that it was like a totally deadpan thing that shouldn't exist but did, which was what made it the funniest thing. Like if we hadn't been selling and opening open for business, it would have been Disneyland, right? Like you just walk through like a pirate diorama. But this was like, it was a joke, but we were also dead serious. It was like, yeah, you can have a, an eye patch. They cost thirty dollars. Um, I feel like the pirate store was like saying to kids too, like, hey, you know that stuff that you have in your head that you want to do? Like, we did this ridiculous thing. We knew how to do this. We did it just right. Trust us. So obviously, they were on to something, and pretty soon, their nonprofit tutoring program, A Two Six, became A Two Six National with after-school programs opening up in other major cities. And Mac found himself assigned to the new location in Los Angeles. But he knew his job was more than just opening 826 Los Angeles. His job was to come up with its own joke. In Los Angeles, we are the Echo Park Time Travel Mart. That's what I built. And it's a convenience store for time travelers. And it looks like sort of like a 1970s 7-Eleven but it's products like from all times, for all times, dinosaur eggs in our refrigerator section next to robot milk. And it's like <laughs> unclear whether that's milk for robots or from robots. Uh, barbarian repellent. Uh, a robot toupee is a very popular item, which is just, is just steel wool. <laughs> did, it, did it ever make a profit? Yeah. <laughs> First day, first, we had this, we had this, we had this party, this opening party that like became just because like LA is so like it immediately becomes the opening night thing got out of hand. It was like it was, it suddenly it had become this like total LA Hollywood thing, and like the guest list was just we're like, what? Who's coming to this thing? Suffice to say, eight two six Los Angeles was a success, and it still is. If you if you find yourself in LA, make sure you stop into the Time Traveler Mart and grab some Barbarian repellent. But don't expect to grab a slushy. Uh, the machine sits broken uh, with a sign saying "Come back yesterday." <laughs> but you remember how Mac actually took time off from school to to write. Well, the book he was writing is called Billy Twitters and His Blue Whale Problem, and it's hilarious. It's, a, it's about a kid who gets into trouble, and as a punishment, he's given a blue whale he has to take care of. And as Mac is working on this book, and he's opening the Echo Park Time Traveler's Mart, he realizes that he's starting to go about these two tasks in kind of the same way. I, I was writing at the same time as I was making this this store. I was building this store out, writing stuff with my friend John, um, and we were imagining this physical space. And I really did imagine it as a as a book you could walk through. That there was a story to be told here, and a story that you would only fully know if like you read the news ticker over here, and then read the back of this label, and then looked at this sign that we had pasted up behind the cash register, and then 
there would be a story told. Um, that it was a that it was a fictional space that existed in the real world, and like an informational scavenger hunter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that 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 you could go in there and spend time looking for this thing and, and finding the story, and that the more you prodded, the the more real it would actually seem. So. When it seems like all is said and done, Mac sells the book, it gets an illustrator, and it's headed to print, but Mac calls up his publisher and says, hey, wait a minute. You know, it's about a kid who gets a blue whale as a pet, and underneath the cover there's an offer that says, like, if you want a free trial of a pet blue whale for, for 60 days, send in a self-addressed stamped envelope, and, and we'll send you a whale. And kids who do that, and it's a very particular kind of kid, who takes the cover off a book, reads the small print, decides, oh, I want to send in and see something and, and see what happens, and actually gets it together to, to get that envelope off. That's a very specific kid, and that kid needs to be rewarded. How, how much response did you get? I got a lot of response, more than I thought I and would. Was it your address? It was the address of the publishing company, and then it got forwarded on to me. Okay. And... Um, and then we got, and did, did you personally so I personally this? handled it okay. so it was like it was enough that it was easy for, for me to handle but it was like I thought maybe nobody would do it and within months the first kids had written in and there would be 10 letters every 4 months and, and the kids who wrote in they would get a, a letter back from a Norwegian law firm and very like in like 9 point font that said that due to a change in customs laws, their whale, their whale had been held up in Sonien Fjord, but uh, that, that uh, a team of lawyers was on it. But the Norwegian legal system was notoriously slow. Uh, but we're working as on it. As it is. As, as it, it is, is yeah. as it is. And then it's sort of like, the letter devolved into just sort of like, uh, a tourist brochure recommending a visit to Sonien Fjord and trying the local de delicacies and, and then said, like, but in the meantime, here's a photograph of your whale. And each kid would get a different picture of a blue whale. Um, and then a phone number for your whale and your whale's name. And then kids could call in and leave messages for their whale. And yeah, the, the outgoing voicemail on that machine, the outgoing message was just, uh, it was just whale sounds. <laughs> <laughs> and then a beep. Which was like really hard because like a, a, a beep kind of just sounds like another whale sound. So there's like always a hesitation when it started to be like, oh, is it? Oh, okay, we're recording. <laughs> so obviously I asked Mac if there was one particular message that kind of sticks with him. Oh, please. Yeah, there was a kid, Nico, who was one of the first kids to ever call in. His whale's name was Randolph. Like, it just sounds like childhood, this, this kid's voice. So I'm your owner, Randolph. Hello. So this is the first time I can ever talk to you, and I might talk to you soon another day. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, five minutes later, there's another call from Nico. Hello, this is Nico. Hi, Randolph. I'm calling you again to say have a good night. I'm going to call you tomorrow okay so i'm just about to eat dinner once my dad picks it up so i'll call you later 
Bye. And then like seven minutes later, there was another one. And he left like four or five messages that first day before he reported that his dad had told him that these long distance calls to Norway were costing too much money. <laughs> um, Hi, Randolph. This is Nico. Again, I can't call you again today because it costs money to call you. And then he, started, he called the next day. And then he called the next week. And then they sort of started getting spaced out. And he did. He left 25 messages over four years. I, I talked about him in that TED Talk. And he, weirdly, like the day after I gave that talk, and it hadn't even gone up or anything, but the day after I gave that talk, I hadn't heard from Nico, and well, Randolph hadn't heard from Nico in, in a year, but he left a message. Hello, Randolph, this is Nico. I haven't talked to you for a long time, so now I'm calling you again to say hello, and I wonder what you doing right now and, and every time at that point like his voice had changed it was a little lower I, I mean he wasn't a teenager or anything but like he was an older kid and I was like eh. every time I would get a message I was like this is the last message and it was nice I just kind of talked about Nico and these messages for the first time and I got this call and I was like this is probably the last one I got one more after that probably like nine months later and that was it um yeah, I liked that. Like, it was, it was so, like, I had kind of started this thing, and then it was clear that, that Nico was taking care of himself with it. Like, he was having conversations with, with Randolph that he would allude to that, that were not taking place on the voicemail. Like, this was taking place purely in his imagination. And <clears throat> so what is the value add there? What is the commodity that you're... You're, and I don't mean that literally right. like in terms of what you're selling. I mean, what is the, experientially, what is the value add that you're creating when you give a child a way to investigate? I mean, I think it's something that we're all looking for from art. Like, I don't think it's just children. Like, y you know, people go to see Sherlock Holmes' apartment on Baker Street and it's an apartment that never existed, and they just painted the address onto a building, even though it's not that building's official address, because people needed it to be there, because they read these stories that meant so much to them. And we all knew at the outset that those stories weren't real. I think access to a liminal space like that, a, a, a space that's kind of between the world of pure fantasy and and the world of of objective reality i think it's something that we need and i think that there are various ways there but for me the way there has always been art artwork that some way knocks me a little bit askew that that, that sort of changes my worldview or, or my perception of the world that's immediately around me puts me in a place that's a little more vulnerable a little more open uh, has fewer boundaries. I think it's. I think that's a good creative space. I think that's a good emotional space. I think that's a good moral space. I think that's a good interpersonal space. Um, I think art can get us there, and is is a is a, a big part of art's value um, to sort of make us question the quotidian reality and think like, ah, is there some other stuff going on? Uh, are, are there other ways to think about this? Is the world a little different from 
I, you know, I think about so much that that you know that scene in in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate, Fact- Chocolate Factory where they they open up for the first time on that room of candy and the kids get to run into it and they're like scooping marshmallows out of the toadstool and like breaking branches off and eating them. So I guess maybe this is apocryphal, but I heard for that scene, like what we're watching is those kids seeing it for the first time. They built it and it was all edible and and um, the kids hadn't seen it. They, they knew what the scene was gonna be, but they hadn't seen that room. They didn't fully know. And we're watching them actually explore the space and the space worked. Like that was marshmallow cream in that toadstool. Um, how amazing is that? That that was real, that, that you could go into that. Like that scene is so beautiful. And I think it is, it is a magical scene. Part of that is the song. Part of it is just the set design. And, and part of it is that you're watching kids uh, explore this space that, that shouldn't exist in the real world, but does. What is that? Why do you want to reward the curious child? The one that is the outstandingly curious child. So it's got to be that mix, right? Like you can't just only write for that kid. And, and when you hear that cliche of like, if I touch only one child's life, then then it was worth it. Yeah, but like, there's, there's, then we probably but, shouldn't have printed 75,000 of these things. But you're offering a golden ticket to that child. That's what it is. Right. That's what it is. What is it? Why, why are you doing that? What is it drives you to do? Because, because you, you, <laughs> this is getting, you're working this, harder. Yeah. And, and possibly for not profit. You're 100 percent No, you. What is it that's driving you? No, to do we're that? losing money on this time. <laughs> uh, no, you're right. It's, man, when you say you're offering a golden ticket, that's exactly what it is. I mean, when I was a kid, I wanted a golden ticket. Like, I, like that was it. Like, I read this story about it. It was so great. It seemed so real. But, I, like, that's what I wanted. I wanted a golden ticket. I wanted a wardrobe that opened to another world. Like, I don't have the ability to make Wonka's factory or a chocolate milk world, but I do want to pay respect to that impulse that we all have, but kids especially, to make fiction real and also to build as sturdy a structure around that to say like, look, I'm gonna take this pretty far too. I think it's worthwhile. I don't think you're, because the, the worst thing is like the, the Billy Twitters thing, when I remember when I was a kid, there would be sort of like 50s style ads with, with a fake address that as you were copying it out in the envelope after you'd already filled out the form, you would see like, oh, there's no zip code or there's no state. Or sometimes you'd send the thing off and nothing would ever come back or the thing would come back returned to sender. That's such a slap in the yeah, face. Yeah. Um, and just to say like, no, I know this. This is valuable. I'm not tricking you. You know that this is on some level fun, but on some level real. Mm-hmm. And that's a really hard thing. It's hard to put into words. That, that's yeah. sort of like... It's, I think you chose a good word. It, it's, um, it's liminal. Liminal. It's, it's actively liminal. Yeah. You know, that phrase make-believe is a really cool phrase, too. I like for it. Make-believe. Like making yeah. yourself it's not, believe. It's not passive belief. It's not passive belief. That's right. right. I mean, do you think that, like, um, obviously, you, so you're creating a golden ticket that these kids get to cash in on. Yeah. Um, are you 
you're getting to take the ride with them. Yeah. I mean, and that's probably, like to go back to the Wonka thing, that's a piece of it, right? Like, he, he's, he's fully in it. He's fully in that world. Yeah. Um, that's why I like writing kids' books, because I think like kids and art have the same basic goal, which is figuring out what it means to be a person. Mm-hmm. And kids are always asking these big questions. What is love? what happens after we die uh, that's not fair like the, the joke of kids being obsessed with fairness is, is kids coming to terms with injustice why does the world work this way and it makes you think about that stuff mm-hmm. and I like thinking about that stuff but, but kids have always been a good impetus for me to think about those big questions and try to answer as honestly as I can and to rethink questions that I moved on from childhood from without ever fully answering. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And that's it. And what I love about what Mac does with this book uh, and, and does in different ways with other books, for instance, he has a, a book called How This Book Was Made, and you go through mm-hmm. the bookmaking process mm-hmm. with, with the child as he's reading the book, and at the end, the message is, and then there came you. And this was not a book oh, until you God. read oh, it, you know. And it, and it, and it, it's, in, it's, in, it's opening a space mm-hmm. that didn't exist before, even with a picture book. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a space that the child is helping to create, mm-hmm. where they're more active. Yeah, it's a total participant, right? Yeah, this is an inert thing that has no meaning until you interact with it and observe it. So you are. A participant, completely a participant. Yeah, you know? which is why Wonka World or the Chocolate Factory uh-huh. was uh-huh. It taps into that thing when we're like everybody wanted the Chocolate Factory to be real. Yeah, not because of a craving for chocolate, which we can get at the store, mm-hmm. but the idea that that mm-hmm. a place like that could actually exist mm-hmm. for the sake of. Pure pleasure. Well, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's, this, it's the name of the song, you know? I mean, it's a, a, a land of pure imagination. Kids have unfettered imaginations. And I think there's something really, really, really potent about the character of Willy Wonka because he's an adult. And all of the other adults in your life are most likely going to kind of, you know, start to put the kibosh on you know, certain fantasies that you have because, you know, they're not practical and they're probably tired of answering the same question over and over and over again. But there's something really potent about that figure of Willy Wonka that's like, oh, no, he, this is at least how I felt, Mary, as a kid watching it, like, oh, see, you can escape. Like, you can get through all of this and not have the the imagination and creativity and dreams kind of hammered out of you. You know, see, like, there's potential there. Willy Wonka did it. Like he stayed a child and he like, and if you believe in it, you can make it real. And what Gene Wilder did with that role in the original was so oh, brilliant wow. that I don't know if you've heard this story that when he got sent the script, uh, he said, I'll do it on one condition. Mm-hmm. And they said, what? And he said, well, when we first meet Wonka and he walks out, I'd like to have a, a cane and have a kind of a, a limp. And then at a certain point I, I trip and I stumble and I fall and I do a flip and I come up without the limp. So you don't know if you can trust me. Yeah. And they're like, that's it? You, so you're saying you're not going to do the movie unless you can do that? And he's like, I guess so. And they're like, okay. Yeah. And what he did is he, 
he because he was smart enough to realize this can't become about Willy Wonka. Mm-hmm. It cannot be about Willy Wonka. It has mm-hmm. to be about the child's relationship to the cho- chocolate factory, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the child has to believe that they can do it too. Yes, and it's not a hero. Mm-hmm. No. And I think a little bit of what Mac is doing with some of these sort of like taking things beyond the book. He's pushing that liminal border a little further, a little further to encourage. Because I, I, again, it's back to the sort of the 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 sort of um, competitions and what sweepstakes or whatever that he entered into and in, in that were offered in bad faith. You know, yeah. you know that like that's such a bummer. But to extended a little bit and again it is not a trick because there's no lies here it's just it's 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 a way of sort of coaxing um a kid a little further out a little further out of the border because they want to go they want to explore you know but they need some uh some signpost mm-hmm. so just don't don't shut the door like they'll keep going why would you stop it for them right yeah yeah, yeah. The, i mean the, the, it's, it's not like they're never going to figure out that like the Nestle factory doesn't really look like <laughs> like Willy Wonka's factory. You know, that when you go to the Nestle factory, it's sort of a bummer. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, I mean, there's time to catch up with that yeah. idea. And that reality is actually kind of boring. No, not kind of. It's totally boring, you know, compared to your fantasy of it. And, you know, r- reality will is literally nailed down to something you know like you can't you can't play with the idea of the real i'd like to see that children's book let's go to let's go to the nestle factory (laughs) uh well what what happened there we got a speech about safety we put on hard hats and we (laughs) you know walked uh walked walked down a very narrow little thing and looked through some glass at big silver tubes we never even saw the chocolate you know so it's all just like what where's the chocolate no sorry kid this is what the factory chocolate factory actually looks like. <laughs> it's just steel tubes. It smells a little bit like bleach. <laughs> oh, and by the way, the A26 National, the the charity that came out of uh, McSweeney's, uh-huh. they've continued to open up more uh, locations across the nation. Uh, in Chicago, you can go visit the Wicker Park Secret Agent Supply Company. Uh, in New Orleans, let's see, you can go visit the New Orleans Haunting Supply Company. Uh, Washington, D.C. is the Tivoli's Astounding Magic Supply Company. And in Brooklyn, where you and I live, you can uh, go see the, the, the Superhero Supply Company. Oh, my gosh. I didn't really heard about this. I, I've been there. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't realize, I didn't realize the, the origin, though. Well, I've never been. Oh, yeah. It's been a while. I don't don't have anything interesting to say about it. I barely remember it, but I remember going just because it's a great name. Yeah, maybe we should go. Yeah. Oh, here it is. On the sign out front, it says, Brooklyn Brooklyn Superheroes Company, New Year, New You, New Cape. Come on on to get a cape for the new year. Replacing an old cape? Try out a new color. Test it out on the cape tester. Cape okay. tester. All right. Can we test out a cape? Yeah, of course you can. <laughs> Do you want to test out a cape? Yeah, uh, yeah, I'll test out a cape. Oh, wait a minute! I see what's about to happen. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh yeah. Ooh, what's this? Uh, that's our uh, lightning containment rod. Telescoping laser module. I'm just grabbing everything on the shelf and giving it a squeeze. 
<laughs> Look, it's a it's a caffeine caffeine free bottle of gumption. <laughs> There's a whole story on the back. I, Brandon Edgens, also known as I don't have a superhero name. Give me a superhero name. Uh, the the Schadenfreuder. Okay, Schadenfreuder. That's actually pretty good. I, Brandon Edgens, also known as Schadenfreuder, promise always to use my superpowers for good. I promise that I will use the items I've purchased here today safely. There's a field trip, then they go into the back room here. Oh, wow. Holy cow. That's beautiful. It really is. Can we go in? Total surprise as well. Sure, it should be all right since there's a... This metal case just opened up, and I didn't know there was a door back there, and now... I'm stepping through to this huge, like a sort of old, traditional-looking classroom with a wooden floor. It feels so traditional. Well is produced, recorded, and edited by Brandon Edgens and myself, Anson Mount. Theme music by Jonathan Myberg. Extra music for this episode provided by The Green Orbs. Special thanks to Mac Barnett, 826 National, 826NYC, and Sonia Moore. She was that voice you heard showing us around the superhero store. If you find yourself in New York, make sure to pay them a visit in the Park Slope neighborhood of Brooklyn. You can find out more about 826 and all their outreach and after-school programs at 826national.org. If you like this episode of The Well, do us a favor and give us a review. Reviews help us by helping more people find The Well. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and all major platforms. And while you're there, make sure and subscribe to us so you can get new episodes of The Well automatically. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week.